Hey guys, it's time for Nina's Got Good News. Nina's a former TV news gal who used to share all the news. Now, as a mom and small businesswoman, she wants to share only the good stuff. It's time to brighten your day. So here's your host, Nina B. Clark. Hi everyone, I am Nina Clark, your host of Nina's Got Good News, and we are rolling. The mics are hot and we are back and you guys are back with us. First of all, I just want to say that you guys are the best. Thank you so much for all of the support. I am so grateful. This is a movement to share good news, and we are growing every single week with a new episode each week on iTunes. Today, in podcast number 39, drum roll please, we have a very special guest. She is a warrior. She is a survivor. She is a hero. She is the doctor who delivered my daughter, Blaine. She is my friend. The doctor is in. She has made it her career and her mission to help women everywhere. We love her for that and for so many more reasons. Please welcome to the podcast the wonderful Dr. Shiva Gofrani. Hi, Doc. Hi, Nina. Oh my this gosh, is so it's so fun. fun. It's so fun. Have you ever done a podcast I've before? I've never done a podcast. I, I know that I need to be careful about not talking over you. <laughs> My it's voice is not my favorite asset, so this is all new. Exciting. This is, I'm so excited you're here. We've been talking about you coming on for so long, and we finally made it happen. We've known each other since we were both at Hopkins School in New Haven, Connecticut together since I was in seventh grade. Oh, my gosh. So I know a lot about you, but tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Um, okay, well, gosh, it's such a long story, but I'll give you the ditty version. So I was raised in Woodbridge, Connecticut, and then North Haven by two immigrant doctors. So my parents were Iranian. They came to America. They became physicians trained here. Um, and so that was like the beginnings of hard work for us. Interestingly, people always assume that I became a doctor because they were doctors, and they were very careful with my sister and I about telling us not to become doctors unless we loved it because it's just such hard, grueling work. So we can probably talk about that later in the podcast, just about how to find you know, your passion, your career, what you want to do. But I came about it in a really roundabout way. I didn't grow up saying, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. I grew up not knowing what I wanted to do, and I came to it later. Um, so that's kind of the beginning of being a doctor. And then once I became a physician, I was lucky that I really ended up loving it, but not for the typical reasons. I think that People assume that doctors love, you know, science and healing and all these different aspects, all of which are interesting. But I found that I love just engaging with people. And it gave me the opportunity 30 to 40 times a day to engage with women and hear their stories. So this is why I keep joking. Like, I want to be a talk show host. You should be. I get to you do it to 30 be. to 40 times a day and just interview people. And in the midst of it, I get to kind of say, oh, look, I've just helped you. <laughs> so it's like built in goodness, you know? I love that about you because you are such a helper. So do you think like from early on, have you always been the kind of person that's the helper? Apparently I was. I didn't, I don't think I realized it at the time, meaning now that I look back, a lot of my friends um, through like high school and college, even people that I, I didn't realize that I had kind of suggested things or helped them. I've had random people kind of say, do you remember that time we sat at the diner and you hashed out what I should do with my career or what I should do with my boyfriend and things that I didn't realize. But it's just really because I happen to love talking to people. So that managed to translate into medicine, but it really could have, I could have done a lot of different things. And I think that's one of the important things for young people to realize is that I think when we say you need to figure out what you want to do, and what we mean is like, what career do you want? It's very misleading. And I think that creates a lot of anxiety. And that's why people pick the wrong career. Because I think we should be broader and say, 
you know, what, um, what is in your personality type that you feel you can hone. And then within that personality type or within that, um, superpower you might have, what are like 20 things that you could do? Mm -hmm. Right. Because if I had just said, I want to be, you know, a doctor or a lawyer, it wouldn't have necessarily brought me to the place I am now. I love that. I just heard when Kathy Lee Gifford was leaving the Today Show, one of the things she talked about, and her kids mentioned this, I loved it so much. I should have tagged you on Instagram, but she said that her her best advice she ever gave her kids, the kids said, was that they said, find something you love to do and then figure out a way to get paid for it. Yeah, right? it's so true. So good. I was like, I yes. know. But even that, like I say to my kids all the time, engage in everything you do. Like they, they laugh at me that that's my word, engage, engage, engage. Because growing up, I mean, despite the fact that my parents were doctors back when doctors used to make money, right? They made my sister and I work. So I worked at like the Oak Lane Country Club where I had to wear a hairnet working at the men's grill. And I worked at Benetton in the Chapel Square Mall when I was 14. Oh my gosh. And listen, I... You, I remember you in that bee sweater, by the way. Oh my God, you've always thing. wore that sweater. Oh, I loved it. And it was like the most boxy, unattractive thing. It was so unflattering. And yet I thought I was the bomb. But... I engaged in all those jobs. I was working with people who are in completely different backgrounds than we were, right? We were the private school girls and these kids were from all these different areas. But by engaging and learning, I didn't know at the time I wanted to be a doctor, Mm -hmm. but I just learned and talked and through that, it kind of snowballed on itself. Right. So I think like to me, the biggest take home message is I don't think people need to necessarily find the thing they love. I think they need to figure out how to love whatever they're doing and then that will bring them... Joy. More and more and yeah. more joy. And that may that might mean that that particular job is not the right job for them, but they found something within it. And mm-hmm. that brought them to something else. Right. It's all part of the journey. Right? right. Now, I'm always fascinated by this part about medicine. And when I talk to doctors, like, how did you find your specialty? Right. Like, how did you know that you were oh. going to how did you discover? I want to be an OBGYN. I mean, were you like, I love vaginas and no, I love babies. I, was like, I love the vagine. No, in fact, the vagine. I thought that it was gross. So my dad is a retired surgeon. My mom's a retired pediatrician. And I once I decided, and it's like that's a whole another long story, but in a nutshell, I switched majors four times as an at undergrad Georgetown? at Georgetown. Okay. Four times. And I was like the wayward child in our family. Trying to figure out. Yeah. My were, parents yeah. were like, Lord, is she ever going to amount to anything? I mean, she's nice and smart enough, but she's not working enough. And when I graduated from college, my best friends and my parents were all like, what do you mean you're going to take pre-meds? So I started pre-meds afterwards. It took me, you know, two years to finish the pre-meds, a year to apply. And then in medical school, the first two years, you're not yet sure what you want to do. I had always thought, okay, I'm going to do something surgical because I love surgery. I love working with my hands. It's creative. But at the same time, I really love internal medicine and pediatrics because you get to bond with your patients. Gynecology is disgusting. I mean, I truly thought it was gross. Like, why would I ever want to do that? And back to the vagine. Back to the vagine. And it all comes back. So then I had an amazing rotation when I was in medical school. I was actually in medical school in Tel Aviv and in an American school. And the people who taught me OBGYN during my third year clinical rotation were great. And so I realized that you can kind of combine the surgical aspect and getting to know your patients through OBGYN. And that's literally how I picked it. It was like all of a sudden one day, oh, it's not gross. You look at it as like a very objective, like the vagina is very objective to me right now. (laughs) You know, it's not what other people think of it. Um, so that's where I loved it because I love surgery. I love talking to patients. And if I just in general surgery, you don't necessarily get to bond. If I just done pediatrics, you don't get to do procedures. Right. So it's perfect 
but for the, you know, it's, I think everyone's view of OB is like, oh, it's so great. You get to deliver babies and it is so great when it's great. But unfortunately, there's a lot of stress within the great and there's a lot of challenges like in the middle of the night and you're nervous and you're anxious and you're delivering someone who's got a challenging delivery or something, you know, untoward happens. So unfortunately, it's just, there's a lot of unrosy parts of it. It's still worth it, but it is really mentally and physically a horribly exhausting field. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the challenges because I feel like we all have challenges and I love Mm -hmm. to talk on this podcast how we overcome them, right? Because Mm -hmm. every day is not rainbows and unicorns, right? No, it is not. Even for the doctor. Even for the doctor. So what is the biggest challenge? Now you're a successful OBGYN. You're part of your own practice in Stanford, Connecticut with mm. an amazing crew, you're which I guys. just love, love, love <laughs> them all. So big shout out, especially to my boyfriend, Dr. Cahill. Woo-hoo. Hey, Pat, love you. Mm-hmm. Might have a third baby just because of you. Oh, she's singing our um, tune. But I'm just kidding because the podcast is my third baby. <laughs> but um, what is the biggest challenge now that you're a successful OBGYN? What is the biggest challenge and how do you overcome it every day? I mean, the biggest challenge for us is that we are a busy practice of four doctors. As Nina knows, I have three male partners who I adore. They're like my dysfunctional male brothers. We have a fun, crazy family, and we've really tried to stay very independent. We are not part of the hospital practice or any big conglomerate. So that's wonderful on one hand because we get to stay independent and make our own decisions, but that also means like any business owner, we're figuring out how to employ people and how to keep people motivated all while we're seeing, you know, 30 to 40 patients a day, all while we're also on call at night. So we, there's four of us. So we have to take call every fourth night. That's going to soon change to every third because our senior partner is no longer going to take OB call, which makes sense. Um, So it's whatever everyone sees during the day, we try to keep our best face on, but we're often exhausted from being on call the night before. And not just being on call, but being on call and having just delivered a very stressful, like, you know, I had a 10 and a half pound baby last week whose shoulder got stuck coming out. And so there's the ongoing stress and anxiety of making sure everyone's safe. There's the ongoing stress and anxiety of being exhausted because you're just not sleeping every single night in your own bed. Um, and you still have to run your practice. So that's, that's the biggest problem because you're still dealing with the business aspects of it. You can't just be a doctor or just be a doctor during the day or just be a doctor at night. Mm -hmm. So it's literally wearing all those hats and then, you know, regular life. Yeah. Your real life. Right. Wife, mother of three kids. So then, okay. So now you've laid it all out, but then how do you overcome that every day? How do you, I mean, really, I think how do you punch that all in the face and move forward? I mean, I joke to like my employees. I always say like, we're a customer service, be nice to the patients and go home and be rotten to your family. Like I am every day, but all joking aside, I try to come home and not be rotten. I mean, I think that for me, what's, what's lucky. And I would advise this to anyone who can do it. You have to figure out, um, you have to surround yourself by people that you really like and and you have to figure out what you're good at, right? I happen to like talking to people a lot. So even when I'm exhausted, I get energy from talking to people. If I didn't like that part, I would not go into medicine because so much of medicine or nursing or teaching or any of those face-to-face fields, you really need to draw energy from that. And I think the problem is a lot of people are not in the right field. So they think they want to be a doctor because they like science. But at the same time, it turns out, oh gosh, I have to talk to people all day. And if you can't make yourself happy by doing that, then it's miserable. So you know, three in the morning, I always joke on my way to the hospital. I'm like, God, why did I pick this? I'm so tired. And then at 530 in the morning on my way home, I think, oh my gosh, I'm so lucky. This is the best thing ever because I've derived energy from that interaction with that person. Not because the baby came out, but because I've gotten to talk to her and engage and enjoy her story and have her feel heard. 
So it's, it's a monumental task on one hand. On the other hand, for me, it's easier because I really like the engagement process and that's what I have to do all day. But I come home and you can ask my kids, I'm cranky and tired. And, you know, the whole idea of balance is hilarious to me because there's a million things that fall by the wayside. Like my garage is a mess and my basement is a mess and I'm not in physically great shape. I don't exercise, you know, three to five times a week the way I'm supposed to. So there's things that just have to give. Yep. You know? Well, it's progress, not perfection. Progress, right? not perfection. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes. Yeah. yeah, every day. Yeah. Well, so do you ever think, because I feel like you kind of are, especially like I know at least in my case, after Blaine was born and I had a little bit of postpartum, I feel like you were my therapist. Good. So I feel mm. like, do you ever think to yourself, I should have been a therapist or I am a therapist? No, I, yes, I do. I don't think I should have been a therapist because again, I would miss the other aspects, but I do think that Listen, I really feel that like 95% of what I do as a physician who feels proud of what I do is ironically not the surgery or the procedures, even though I love those and not the pap smear. I mean, I could kind of teach anyone to do a pap smear itself and follow the algorithm. It's allowing every single patient who comes in to feel heard by me because I think that's what people really need. And whether it's, you know, I have a medical problem or I have an emotional problem or I'm upset with my husband or I don't like my career or my kids are bugging me, I think just being able to engage with them really helps. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I don't feel like I'm so amazing that I do it. I feel like, oh, it just turns out that that's what I happen to like. If you asked me to do a different kind of job, I wouldn't be good at it, but I happen to like talking to people. So I think that's one of the most important things as a physician. And again, I think that's where a lot of physicians go awry is that they might be very smart, but they don't want to listen to people. And so they can't necessarily help people as much as they need. Mm -hmm. I know you're so good at that. You really are so good. And then when my dad got sick and my dad passed away, I also felt like you were my therapist. So thank you for all, everyone that knows you knows this about you, that you really are, you're always there to help. Thank you. And it means so much. So We're going to pivot a little bit about Mm -hmm. your own personal health journey Yes, and tell us what happened in 2016. You all of a sudden had some symptoms going on yes, and then unfortunately a diagnosis of cancer. So tell us what happened in 2016. Well, and ironically, I actually don't even consider it unfortunate, which sounds so crazy, but, um, So again, a little bit of background. When I was 28 and I had just met my husband, I had had a long history of having very heavy, painful periods my whole life. And um, when I was 28, we found out I was third year of medical school. I had a 17 centimeter, which is like a large grapefruit cyst in my ovary that was made of endometriosis. So it was what was called an endometrioma. And I had to fly home from medical school. I was about to come home anyway, but I came home and I had it removed. And then a year later, my husband and I got married I was taking birth control pills to help control the endometriosis, so I was fine. And then had kids. I mean, that's a whole other health journey, but I was 34 when I had my first baby, and then 38 with my second, and 40 with my third. But in the midst, I'd had six miscarriages. So I'd gone through a lot of stuff with my kids, with miscarriages, and then once I had had my last child, I stopped taking birth control pills. Many people might know that when you're in your 40s, your period changes. So I kind of thought, okay, I'm 46. It's heavier. It's painful. I know I have a history of endometriosis. It's just come back. And in my mind, I kind of told myself what I know was true medically, which is, okay, I had it in my ovary before. It's probably back. I'm having pain. But I also said to myself, I would tell my patients they have to get it checked out. So I put my money where my mouth is. And I had an ultrasound done in my office. And my ultrasound tech, who's wonderful, shout out to my former ultrasound tech, Karen, said, huh, you have a four centimeter cyst in your ovary. 
very common. You and I both know, but I know what you would say to your patients that based on how it looks, because it didn't look what we call clear and simple, go get an MRI. So I said, oh, Karen, you and I both know this is nothing. It's just endometriosis, but I will do it because I want to be able to prove to my patients that I would do what I would tell you. So I get my MRI done and the doctor from the radiology department at Advanced Radiology, Dr. Lowe, thank you very much, calls me and says, this looks abnormal. And I even said to him, listen, we know that you guys tend to overcall these things. This is just endometriosis, but I'll get it removed because I'm in so much pain. And literally within, that was a Tuesday morning, I call my GYN oncologist, Dr. Iris Wertheim, who was amazing. And I said, you know, I'm kind of having pain and this happened. And she said, just come in right now. So we all agreed that probably still benign, but had features where it could look malignant. Let's just have it removed. So within a week, I get scheduled for surgery, June 17th of 2016. And we, wa- we went in knowing that it could be cancer, but probably it wasn't based on a lot of different clinical features. Um, but I woke up and it turns out they initially thought, yes, it is cancer, but what was called a borderline tumor, which is like a very early, early stage. Um, and within a week, we found out that, in fact, it was stage two, which in ovarian cancer terms is still great. Everyone probably knows that most ovarian cancer gets found over two thirds of the time it gets found at stage three or four which is why any woman in my office hears me say 50,000 times a week, if you have bloating or pain or pressure that lasts more than a couple of weeks, like more than a week or two, don't assume anything terrible, but don't blow it off because historically women tend to blow it off and they end up getting caught at stage three or four Um, because the symptoms are vague and common. And when I say bloating, pain, or pressure, I see every patient's eyes widen and they think, oh, I have bloating and pain and pressure. Nina right now is like, I think I have bloating and pressure. But so the idea is, listen, all joking aside, if it lasts more than a week or two, it's likely nothing. I mean, I say all the time, anyone who's listening who's been in my office knows they hear me say this all the time. It's likely nothing, but let's get it checked out. Unfortunately, there's no screening test for ovarian cancer. When you get your pap smear, that is not screening for ovarian cancer. It's screening for cervical cancer. So there were a lot of teaching points in my um, in my own journey. So we found out I had it. I had a full hysterectomy. They had to remove my uterus and ovaries and tubes and some other parts just to make sure it hadn't spread. And then I had chemo for 18 weeks. So six cycles um, that were at three week intervals. And listen, it sounds crazy to say I'm glad it happened, but I'm glad it happened. And I, I had a lot of complications within my surgery as well. Um, and I learned a lot from it. And I don't want to sound, make it sound again, like you said, it's not like unicorns and roses and rainbows. Mm-hmm. I mean, within it, there was the the crap. I won't swear, but I joke yeah. all the time that one of my sayings is embrace the S and move the F on because yeah. I think it's really important to know, listen, within it, it stunk. There was a do lot feel of like, stuff. Sorry, but do you feel mm-hmm. like you're glad it happened because you learned from it? Yes. Or? I'm glad it happened for a million reasons. I'm glad it happened because I learned a ton. I always joke, okay, God, I can relate stronger. to my patients yes, without having gone through patients. everything. Like I've yeah. had miscarriages. One of my kids actually had an intrauterine stroke. The other one had a club foot. Like I've had a lot of experiences. And every time it happened, I would say, okay, God, I get it. I don't need to like go through everything. I can engage and empathize without having experienced it. But this really, I mean, ironically, as a gynecologist to have ovarian cancer, it's funny and odd, right? Yeah. But it helped me relate to my patients even more. It helped me, I think, kind of get it into people's minds even more that, listen, 
we actually can be okay. I think there's so much fear surrounding cancer. Right, there is. And I get so why scary. in a way, right? Because we all I, have. I mean, I remember when we all first heard you had cancer. We were all scared. Right, but this is what I say to people also. Please don't be scared. Like, in other words, I think if we continue to engage in the word fear and throw that word around loosely, we don't appreciate what we're really feeling is, which we're all feeling anxious, right? Like, before every C-section, every patient hears me say, nerves are normal, but don't be scared. Meaning... I can't take away anxiety and nerves because we're anxious about stuff. But if we continue to say fear, it changes our, first of all, our physiological reaction probably is bad. If we could really measure it, the cortisol reaction that gets um, unleashed when you are fearful is that fight or flight. And it's not a healthy thing necessarily unless you need it. I mean, it was meant to be like we're running from the woolly mammoth, right? I don't know if that's an appropriate thing because I don't know if humans and woolly mammoths existed, but you know what I mean, right? And so if we continue to say, I'm so fearful... It either stops people from getting examined because they're scared and therefore they think, I'm scared, I don't want to know the answer, which is not healthy. Or the minute they hear the word cancer, they get into that, oh my God, I'm so fearful because they equate cancer with death, which is not true. I mean, the majority of people on this earth who get cancer will survive. And actually, if every single person listening to this podcast right now thinks about all the people they know with cancer, I guarantee they'll realize, oh, that's right. The majority of people I know with cancer have survived it right? We all know people who haven't survived, which is terrible. But the vast majority have and will survive. And clearly, if we catch it earlier, it's even better. So there's so many reasons not to fear it, right? I think that the problem is that the media, with all due respect, (laughs) and I know you mean it in a good way, but even using words like survivor and warrior, like, I don't know, you might notice that I never use the word cancer survivor. Because survivor to me implies that the second I was diagnosed, I was on the precipice of death and someone snatched me back. And that's not true. I was caught at stage two. The likelihood of me being fine was very high. Mm -hmm. My oncologist surgeon and my oncologist and I all agreed that I had like 80 to 90% five-year survival. So again, there was no reason for me to have this fear of death. Mm -hmm. There was the the bottom line that I had to go through surgery and chemo and, you know, losing my hair and all these things. But Death was not one of them. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's really important because I find that even women who are being told they have very early stage breast cancer, early stage cervical cancer, early stage uterine cancer, things that are very, very completely survivable because we can test for them, they're screened for, they still have this immediate, oh my God, cancer equates death. And it doesn't. And I think that the more we can get that message out, the less fear we'll have And we won't necessarily avoid tests. We'll be better about tests. We also will approach the whole process a little more, um, I don't want to say happily, because that sounds so corny. It's not like I was, yeah, open. a little bit more open about it. Every time one of my patients right now finds out, I keep saying like this, I know it's what you're set out for. There's a long road to like, you're going to be fine, but you're most likely going to be fine. That's just a fact. I can say it without trying to be like rosy and optimistic. Like Mm -hmm. you're going to be fine. I can say factually, most women are going to be fine when they get diagnosed with cancer. And if you can approach it that way, you can find some really good things. I mean, I saw people's kindness was so amazing. I could cry thinking about it. Like, I knew everyone was, I know, listen, I know people are nice. But during that journey, people just engaged in ways that were so wonderful. I mean, the obvious, like, you know, calling or sending me texts or helping with my kids. But just beyond that, I mean, my friends were amazing. And it really just shows you that that people are nice. So I got a ton out of it, you know? I mean, I actually learned a lot. And I don't want to sound corny like I learned to appreciate because I think I appreciate it. I mean, I keep, again, joking right. with God, like, um, I'm pretty sure there's other people. made it even more yeah. clear to you about, yeah. yeah, the kindness. So what word do you like instead, just so people, like, do um, you like being a... 
I don't know. It's such a good question. Help me find fighter, out. Uh, I like being a fighter. I mean, I like, listen, the warrior I don't object to calm. as much. You're like, you were like a calm warrior. Yeah. I mean, I think that, listen, you do have to be a bit of a warrior because you have to, there's some crappy stuff. I mean, yeah, right. There are days you feel horrible and lousy. I think, um, I don't like survivor, like I said, because I think it connotes something right. terrible. I don't like survivor or the word cancer free because I also very much believe in manifesting. Yes. So in my older years, I... I like thinking about manifesting more than jinxing. So I'd rather not say I'm cancer free and I'd rather say I'm done. Right. I'm done. I'm healthy. Right. So I don't have a good little word. Maybe we can come up with a word. Like what am I? What is We're going to brand this. We're going to brand a word for Shiva. Well, I like, I mean, as a general unrelated to cancer, I like to say I'm an engager because Mm -hmm. I love the word engage. And I think it's really important to just engage in everything you do. Everything. I keep saying to my kids, like, let's go to the grocery store and engage in that woman who's checking you out. Not because like, (laughs) you're you're better than her. They're so annoyed at me. They're like, mom, engage. But you never know who you're going to either learn something from or teach something to, oh or gosh. just have something nice. Yes. Right? We're going to challenge everyone today. Engage, to you engage. guys. Truly. Go engage in your community. Seriously. I love that. It's really important. I know. I love that. That's why I love running into Shiva at Starbucks, because we're, guess what we're doing with each other? We're, <gasps> we're engaging. engaging. Right? And it's I much more it. fun. I mean, listen, life can be boring and challenging and difficult. So getting back to like, how do you deal with it when I'm like exhausted at three in the morning? Because at three in the morning, I can engage in that person. Yeah. And I if I that. can make them feel... And I learn from them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hear so many fun stories about from my patients. I've learned a million things from them. Like I'm basics. sure every day you learn. Well, so let's talk about when the cancer, when, when you said the cancer was gone and yeah. you, you bid it farewell, you did a YouTube video yeah, and it kind of went viral. I know. It was like my small five minutes of fame. It right? was, 15. it was kind of crazy. You did this amazing video when, when you were basically bidding cancer farewell, yeah. you were like, I'm done. Yep. We're moving forward. Mm-hmm. It's been great knowing you, right. but we're, we're Bye-bye. done. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. And your, your head was shaved and you were mm-hmm. so strong. You were so composed so what made you do the video and then what was it like? What was the reaction like? Other um, than like being yeah. <laughs> viral, famous, I know. I was being like, oh famous my gosh, on the interweb. This is it. Then it went out. Um, what, I mean, what made me is actually, so I, as you all know, I like to talk a lot. So, you know, people have always said like, oh, it'd be so fun. Prior to me getting diagnosed, patients and people had said, oh, you should, you know, you should write a book. You always have things to say. And then I got diagnosed and frankly, a lot of people, I think we were, I don't want to say I felt like I was in a mode to teach, but I do feel like there was a little bit of this part where I thought, well, if I got to go through it, I might as well help other people. I might as well help women and men feel like they're not going to die necessarily from cancer. I want to demystify the anxiety and fear and stuff like that. I talked about it really openly with my kids all the time. I mean, my poor kids had to see and hear all kinds of pretty gross stuff. And my hope was that I was demystifying the fear of cancer in the future for them, which by the way, I would say to any of us, I know not everyone likes to be open, but I, I actually think it's really important to be open so that you can help your children in the future not feel so angry angry and um, upset about hospital visits and all the things that they see. I mean, now we're at the point where my kids are kind of like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. You had cancer, right? <laughs> and I'm like, like, yeah, yeah. that was only three years remember? ago. Um, so that day, it was a Tuesday. I was home because I worked through cancer, which I joke, it was like my most relaxing six months. I worked nine to three. I didn't take call. My partners were amazing. I got to do acupuncture. So that particular Tuesday, it was right after I'd finished. And I thought, I'm going to just post a little video because during that time, a lot of people had said, now is the time for you to do more media and things like that. But nobody was banging down my door. So I figured I'd just do it myself. So I literally just sat there and did it. 
and posted it thinking, you know, maybe it'll be fun. And the whole point of it was goodbye to cancer and thank you for what you taught me. You were a little bit of a wake-up call. I mean, I was definitely... I hate that term, burning the candle at both ends, but I was. I was working a ton and still thinking, like, I can go out and have fun and do all these things, and I wasn't being as healthy as I should have been. So it helped me remember to do those things. And, um, yeah, it got, like, I forgot, but 27,000 or something like that views. Not like. I mean, I think it actually got 27,000. Yeah, 27, no, it's crazy. Views, it's, great. like, all over the Internet if you if you Google it. I do think it's a great video to watch. And, um, Thank just, you. It was, it was also a good – it was such a good update because everyone wanted to know – are you okay? Yeah. You well, know? To this and then it people, made us all realize like, yeah, I'm not okay. only is she okay, but she's actually better than she and stronger yeah. than she was. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think that's, listen, it's like everything. I mean, there's so much out there, right. About someone said a couple months ago on one of the podcasts I had heard, your mess is your message. And listen, none of us can look back on our lives and not remember horrible things that have happened. But I'm pretty sure that for the, for most of us, most of the bad things that have happened have taught us something when right. we came out on the other side, which isn't to say I'm glad about all the bad things I've gone through. And my friends make fun of me. I do try to like twist things like it was great that I got diagnosed with cancer and like had a kid with a stroke. Right. And listen, I mean, it wasn't great in certain ways, but it happened whether right. or not it was great. It happened. So I might as well figure out how to squeeze the best parts out of it. And we all have our stuff, Everybody, right? Everybody. Everyone has their stuff. Every single person. I think it's more like, how do you, how do you handle it? And how do you move forward? That actually is more important. Well, that's where I actually dwelling think, on the actual stuff. Yeah. Right? I think one of the most important things and the kids again are annoyed hearing me say this, but one of my favorite like paradigms is just the thought that it's all relative, right? Mm-hmm. Anything you're going through in life in that minute, in the hour, in the day, in the week, in the year is relative to something else. So I might come home one day and be more tired than my husband because my day was X, Y, Z. So that day, it's all relative. My day was harder than his, right? But globally, like that month, his month might've been harder than mine because his work was different than mine. So the minute I have any bad news, I really do try to remind myself that moment, okay, this is all relative. I know this is not good, but Lord, it could be so much worse. And sadly, or I guess this is good for me, I think because of what I do, I hear people tell me these stories in my office every day. And every time I hear them, I think, oh my gosh, I've got some stuff going on, but I want my own stuff. I don't want Mm -hmm. what everyone else has going on. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a little bit of, um, I always joke that I have like a healthy dose of denial. Like I'm in the midst of ovarian cancer. Right. And I remember being bald and I had this like thing called a wound vac and some really yucky stuff. And a patient came in and she was going through, sadly, just some other things that I'm sure in her mind, she was looking at me going, this poor doctor is like, you know, going through the worst thing ever. And in my mind, I thought, oh, gosh, this poor thing. She's going through terrible stuff. Thank God all I have is ovarian cancer. It gives you a little perspective, right? Yeah. And and part of it is you have to like convince yourself and maybe even fake it a little bit in Mm -hmm. that moment. Who knows? So let's talk about your hair. Yes. So you shaved it when you were going through all this and then it started to grow back and mm-hmm. you keep it short. You keep shaving it. I keep shaving it. So what is, what's, what's behind the hair? Well, initially I used something Is that called, like your badge of honor? It's like, it's actually become a little bit of like my trademark and a little bit of, I'm, I don't want to say lazy, but I still go to the hospital in the middle of the night a lot. And it took a lot to take care of hair. So when it started to grow back, I decided, you know what? It's easier. I just shave it every three weeks or so. Or in between, I kind of clip it, and now Nina's looking at me. I've I bleached it in November. Um, it goes through different stages. I've joked that I look like Eminem because right now it's a little bit straw-colored yellow, but when it grows out, it gets into a, like a kind of funky, you know, 
just tips. So it's constant evolution. But I didn't initially shave it. I mean, I did something called cold cap that any breast cancer patients might have heard about. It was really made for breast cancer initially, but it's a cap that you wear during chemo that freezes your hair follicles during the treatment that decreases the amount of medicine that gets to your follicles so you don't lose your hair, supposedly. And it works for many women. It didn't work great for me, and it was, frankly, the worst part of the chemo, believe it or not, just because it's very painful. Um, so after my, my fourth of six cycles, I was like the old man with a comb over. And I was in my office one day, and I thought, oh, my gosh, if I bend over, patients will notice. Like, I literally was spraying the bald parts of my head with that that dark hairspray that's like paint. It was, it was tragic. Oh my gosh. And like painting on my eyebrows. And I was laughing. I was very open about everything, but I was like trying to, I think I looked a little bit like, you know, a cross-dresser. And <laughs> a little so crazy. finally I said, you know, let's just shave it. And my right. husband was awesome. The kids were like running around and we shaved it and it, it felt great. It actually felt great. It was so freeing. I don't know. It was like something biblical where all of a sudden I got rid of my hair and it was just so much easier. Right. It felt very clean. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and it's funny. I mean, I got a lot of, attention that I liked, which, which sounds weird, but a lot of people didn't realize I was going through chemo. So they just thought I was being like super cool and edgy and shaving my head, which I thought was funny. And then still other people I would see, you know, bald women in a store and we would kind of exchange glances like, Hey sister, I know what you're going through. And I, it sounds corny, but I feel like that helped other people. Mm -hmm. Um, and since then, when I thought about growing my hair, it just, the in-between growth phase is such a pain for anyone who's had short hair that every time I think about it, I'm like, nope, I'm just going to shave it again. It makes my life easier. I don't have to waste time on hair. I do feel like it helps other people because when they look at me, they they automatically kind of think, maybe she went through chemo, maybe not. But I think then they realize like, oh, she's okay. She's mm-hmm. surviving. So maybe I'll be okay too. Yeah. So She's a badass. Yeah. Yep. Sure. Kind of are. So what's the best piece of advice you give to new parents? Oh my gosh. The biggest piece of advice, like intertwine two parts stay off google literally i mean i just posted something about it google for shopping only do not google medical advice because what comes along is you know like i always say five to ten percent good stuff and like 90 percent stress inducing anxiety provoking you're the worst mother in the world stuff that is patently untrue Um, and what kind of melds along with that is just going going along with it find a practitioner you really love and trust it doesn't mean you have to have blind faith, but I always say to our patients, if you if you have faith in us, then let us handle things without blindly following everything we do. If it seems like we're going off the rails, okay, question us, but otherwise, let us help guide you, and if you don't have faith in us, then you should find a different practitioner. I think what a lot of people do is stay with whatever doctor they've picked and then kind of second guess everything because that's what the internet has taught them to do and it doesn't create a good situation for them or for their practitioners so I think you're better off just saying I have faith in you I'm going to go with the flow I don't know exactly how this is going to go I'm going to ask you questions when I need to but I'm going to trust the process that we all have the same goal in mind which is me and the baby to be healthy and happy then when you're a mother I mean forget it if you listen to the internet Oh, I, you're in trouble. Oh, it's I like a bad rabbit day. hole you go down yeah. and it's like the black Terrible, hole. It's like right? the black hole. Yes, because everyone has an opinion and everyone yeah. acts like their opinion is the right opinion. Oh, I, know. I mean, I say all the time to patients, don't listen to anyone telling you what to do other than me telling you not to listen to other people because you have to trust your intuition. And it's hard. We've been taught to systematically not trust our intuition, mm-hmm. that other people know better than we do. And it's just not true. See, she's such good advice. The doctor is in. Thank you. Okay. Well, let's talk about, since you just mentioned you posting. Mm-hmm. So you are doing this great thing now on social media that I've been loving. So you are across all social media platforms, big love 
Fierce Juju. Mm -hmm. So first of all, I want to talk about the name Mm -hmm. and that, like, where did that come from? And then second of all, what are you doing on social media right now? I love all the lessons, but what is, what's happening? I feel like you're on this journey. I know. Well, okay. I don't even know how I came up with the name. I always loved the word Juju because Dr. Robert Gennaro, one of my partners and I used to joke about the Juju. You know, you don't want to mess up the Juju. juju, You don't want the Juju. You don't want to mess up the Juju. So I always looked at it as good Juju and, um, And so I just like the word juju. And I think that when I started really talking about cancer and everything, I wanted people to feel love, but also feel strength. So I I cannot remember the day I started saying like, I'm sending big love and fierce juju, but I wish I could look back on all my texts because it was someone who sent some message to me and I could tell just needed like a boost. And I said, I'm sending you my big love and fierce juju. I got to find that actually. I don't know where I did it. I love anyway, that. and oh that just gosh. started snowballing. And I yes. thought oh, that's like my tagline. I'm just going to keep saying big love and fierce juju. And actually I had some bracelets, these rubber bracelets made um, that have that on it. And another little saying that I've said that again has a swear, so I won't say it out loud. Um, so then it became kind of a fun thing to put on social media. And then you and Nina Clark, thank God, I'm a little bit of an idiot when it comes to the social media. I don't really get it other than I just kind of post things for fun and so I'm on Facebook and Instagram at love I mean at big love fierce juju um I'm not on Twitter actually just because that's a whole other thing I don't get Facebook and Instagram that's good so you actually just told me recently to change my handle to big love fierce juju as opposed to just my name so the reason I started doing more is my sister and I have joked our whole lives my sister is hilarious and awesome and brilliant and a badass far more than me she is the judge essentially the administrative judge in charge of criminal court in Miami in Dade County yeah she's kind of major she's amazing and And you guys are so cute together we've always joked that we would love to be famous like it would be fun but the truth is I don't really want people like watching me all the time because then I get pictures that look terrible right Um, Eminem Eminem so I just would rather post funny pictures of myself so People have said this a lot, again, through the years, like, you should have a talk show, you should have a book, you should have a this, you should have a that, and I'd always thought, oh, that'd be great, but guess what? I have my day and night job, and they're pretty all-encompassing. So recently, I'm just getting exhausted. I mean, I've been a doctor for 20 years. I can't believe it. I joke, how is that possible when I'm Doogie Hauser and I'm only 25? But I really would, at some point, like to stop working at night. I mean, I never want to not work, and I never not want to not work during the day, but I'd love to not work at night. It's exhausting and stressful. So what comes along with that is kind of needing some kind of side gig. And the side gig that I love is talking to people and engaging with people. So what better way than to put out data and media and little um, posts about what I think women are going through. So people keep saying, oh, my God, you should talk about this. You should talk about that. So I'll post things. And the feedback is great. I mean, you know, nothing's gone viral yet, but... Feel free, people, to make me viral. But women have either like texted or called or sent messages or in my office say, the minute you said, you know, don't listen to social media because of X, Y, Z, that spoke to me that day. I mean, a patient a couple weeks, not even a couple weeks ago, last week had said, Google said I was a bad mom because I let my baby sleep eight hours and 35 minutes. And that's where I said, Dr. Google went to correspondence Yeah, you school. need to fire Dr. Are you Google. Kidding? You're an awesome mom. God, I don't know how you did it. That's amazing. Yeah, right. So, I mean, that's why I'm doing it. Like the, the personal secondary gain of putting out the stuff is that I would, I would love really to have a talk show. I think mm-hmm. it would be fun and fascinating. Like this, sitting here and getting to talk to you. Oh my gosh. Without having to do your pap smear. It's amazing. <laughs> Um, but we can do that right, another time. Great. But we could just do it really quick here. But the, but the bigger reason is, you know, 
I can't say selflessly I'm doing this for everyone else. I'm doing it selfishly, of course. I think we all do things because we like it. I like doing it. It's fun. I like the attention it garners me. I'll be completely honest. But I also like that I can get attention while I think I'm doing something that is helping other people. Oh my gosh, you're always helping. And the content is so good. It's so good. Some days it's funny. Some days it's just factual. But it's so good. So keep the content coming. I love it. So well, do you think maybe you'll do a blog? I know. I was or like, thinking what, about what's it. next for I Big mean, Love, Fierce Juju, well, like and the do. doctor here? Well, what, here's what I'd like. I would really like to maybe do some YouTube videos that are a little bit more medical that probably like everyone on Facebook doesn't want to hear me talking about like herpes and HPV. Meaning I really do think there's some medical content out there that needs to be explored in a more fun, fun but factual, persuasive way. And just stuff I talk about with patients every day in my office. So I might do some YouTube videos and make it more like a vlog, a video log. Yes, I like that. Um, I might write. I don't know what I'm going to do. I will say, my if you ask me, like, what's the biggest thing I want for people out there listening or for women out there especially is I wish we could all just be more honest. I mean, really, really, really. Everyone seems to come into my office complaining that they feel like everyone's putting forth their best face and acting like life is rosy. And that's really damaging. And I see it every minute where women will come into my office, they'll tell me some terrible things. I don't blame them for not wanting to share that on the internet. But what they do instead is put out a Facebook post that's like, life is good, everything's amazing, which is why actually one of my first posts was... That's called fake news. It's so fake news. And what what I find happens is, so they don't want to you know, be real about what's going on in their life. Okay, I get it. But instead of not putting the bad stuff, they put the flagrantly opposite good stuff, right? Like they've just been told that their, I don't know, husband lost his job and they post something about like my amazing husband who has the best job in the world, right? Like something completely crazy. It's actually worse than that, but I won't, again, say juicy things here. And so that's why when my husband and I a couple weeks ago were going on our little vacation for our upcoming 20th anniversary, I said, I know I'm supposed to act like hashtag 20 years of bliss, but I'm actually going to say it like it is, which is, Marriage is so hard. And actually, in that moment that I recorded the video, I was so angry at him for certain things that had happened on our little trip. Um, And I think that if we're all more honest, then it doesn't mean like, I was pissed at my husband, I'm going to divorce him. It just means like in that moment, I was angry. Or by the way, maybe one day someone is going to get a divorce and they're they're real about that. Mm -hmm. I think if we all keep posting life is great, we not only make everyone else feel bad, but then everyone else has to one-up us. Mm-hmm. So when they one-up us, we inwardly say, oh my gosh, that person has a great life. And I was lying when I said I had a great life. So now I feel even worse about my right. life. Right? So it just becomes this constant vicious cycle of people thinking that everyone else has a great life. Yep. When in reality, everyone does have a great life for certain reasons. And mm-hmm. everyone else has bad things in their life mm-hmm. for other reasons. Um, so I, I implore women, like, can we stop putting all the baloney? Yep. Which and be real. Say, yeah, be real. It doesn't yep. mean everyone has to post all their bad stuff. It just means like maybe a little bit less fake, a little bit more real. Yeah, we like being real. Yeah. Yeah. So we want everyone to follow you. Okay, thanks. Right? At yes. Big Love Fierce at, Juju. At Big Love Fierce right? Juju, Instagram and Facebook. Yep. And see mm-hmm. what, see, we're just going to see what happens next. Yeah. Right? Yes. And just, we're going to keep engaging. Yes. Keep engaging. Keep and engaging. Really, you'll be shocked what you learn when you engage in mm-hmm. random people. Mm-hmm. It is so fun. And I just want everyone to know, because you do work like you are like a workaholic, so we do want you to (laughs) quit your night job. But I will say that it was your day off when you delivered Blaine, September 28th, 2010. It was your day off. It was a Tuesday, and you're off on Tuesdays. 
And you were there. You showed up to help deliver Blaine Clark. And I will never forget that. Oh, it was, honey. it just meant the world to me that you came in on your day off. Well, and that because little girl. people just don't do that. I know. Well, listen, and I have to give a shout out to my partners because as Nina knows, this is, I guess, one other quick piece of advice is surround yourself by people you really like. I mean, I find people taking jobs because it's like, it's the right, you know, whatever, the right pay, the right hours, the right whatever. And I get it. You need to. But to me, the most important thing about any job is again, engaging in the people you're working with. I love being a doctor, but if I didn't love my partners, I couldn't do this because the anxiety and stress and being tired would prevail. Mm -hmm. Instead, when I'm anxious and tired and stressed, I can look at the big picture and say, okay, but I love my partners. We take care of each other. We're good to each other. Um, and that really makes a difference. So you have to find people you like. I know. I love that. It's great advice. Thank it's you. so good. So important. Well, I think we're going to still work on your, on, on what we're going to call you, but okay. in, the, in the, in the meantime, we're sending everyone our big love and our fierce juju. Big and I just wanted juju. to say thank you so much, Shiva, for being here today. It was so much fun and I learned so much. And I feel like even just in this episode, you were helping people. Thank you. Honey, right. Thank just you. Doing what you do is helping. Oh my gosh. You guys, I helper. wish you could see Nina right here because like she's cheerful and beautiful and like the space is so cheerful. I mean, I want to sit here all day. Here we are in my living room. I just... wish we could just get paid all day to just sit here and talk to each other. Well, about... Someday maybe we will. I know. Right. Yeah. We can hang in coastal Connecticut yes. forever because we do love it here. Yes. So anyway, well, a big thanks to Shiva Gofrani for being my good news, good news guest and everyone just loves you and we're so happy you're here and you're healthy and you're happy and you're stronger than ever. So thank you for inspiring all of us and thank you all out there for listening. I'm so grateful for all of you. I know that I would never be here without all of you supporting me and inspiring me to be a kinder, better person every single day. Stay tuned for next week's podcast. Remember, please find me on iTunes and be sure to subscribe and rate and review my podcast too, because that matters as well. The mission of this podcast is to get better together as a community right here in the audio space. As Shiva and I just said, please find me on Instagram because the gram is my jam. So let's connect there as well. Thank you again for listening and let's keep being awesome.